in our text this morning, the Apostle Paul makes a very impressive declaration. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. He says, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Now listen to it. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. This bold and dogmatic apostle of God says, I know. He makes the claim that he has come to certainty. He's come to certainty. He's come to confidence. And he's come to assurance. And he claims that he is possessed of a knowledge that is supreme. And we might well ask, what is it? What is it that Paul claims to know? You see, Paul could have said, and he might have said, I know what I believe. That individual today, that man or woman today, who can say they know what they believe, those people are to be congratulated. There are a lot of folks today, even in the church, that can't say that. There are a lot of folks that have thrown away their old convictions. And not only have they thrown away their old convictions, they haven't found any new ones to take their place. You see, there's just so many folks in our world today, all over this world, who don't really know just what it is they do believe. Or Paul could have said this. Paul could have said, I know why I believe. And don't, don't make any mistake about it, that's worthwhile also. You remember Peter encourages us and encourages every one of us to be able to give an answer to every man that asks us. A reason for the hope that's in us. And that man or that woman today that can do that is, is happy indeed. Because you see, so often we take our positions and we camp out on our positions and we don't even have any solid reason for camping out there. How often have we seen folks in the church that take their position first and then Look for some reasons to justify taking that position. But there is a certain strength about that individual who knows what they believe and knows why they believe it that other folks don't have. That's something that Paul could have said. He could have said, I know what I believe. And I know why I believe it. But folks, Paul said something even larger and greater and more magnificent than that. Paul makes this tremendous assertion. Paul says, I know whom I have believed. The what and why are important. Don't, don't misunderstand me on that. 
But Paul's knowledge is much more important than the what and the why. Paul's knowledge is the knowledge of a person. Paul claims that on the way from Jerusalem to Damascus, he came to know Jesus Christ personally. And he further makes the claim that having come to know Jesus personally, he has come to know God Himself. He is claiming that He knows the One who in the beginning created the heavens and the earth. Paul faces his perplexed and bewildered generation. And he faces all the perplexed and bewildered generations of all the centuries and makes this supreme assertion. And Paul says, I know God. Folks, there is nothing Paul could have said that's bigger than that. Paul was what we would call today a theologian. He was a specialist in the things of God and his teachings. Paul knew about Jesus. But listen to me, listen carefully. No knowledge about Jesus is ever going to take the place of knowing Jesus Himself. You know, it's a good thing to know about water. I know about water. I know that water with a little soap will make me clean and smell better. I've been around some folks from time to time that I wish they knew that much about water. I know that water, after I've been out in the heat, and I'm dry and I'm parched and about dehydrated, I know that water will quench my thirst. But no knowledge of water will quench the thirst of a parched and dry mouth. You've got to have water. It's a good thing to know about botany. But no knowledge of botany, no knowledge of flowers can take the place of the perfume or the beauty of the rose. It's well to know astronomy. But there is no book of astronomy that can give the splendors that you see in a sunrise or the light and magnificence of the stars. Now listen to it. In that same way, no knowledge about Jesus can ever take the place of knowing Jesus Himself. Paul makes a universal statement. Paul says, I know whom I have believed. The hunger for God is a universal hunger. It's as universal as the hunger for bread. Job was bewildered and tortured when he cried, Oh, that I might know where I might find Him, that I might come even to His seed in Job chapter 23 and verse 3. Job was expressing a universal longing. 
When the psalmist declared in Psalms 42, As the heart panteth after the water's brook, so panteth my soul after Thee, O God. The psalmist wasn't speaking for himself alone, but for all mankind of all ages. You remember after Jesus had had the Passover with the apostles that last night? He told them He was going away and He was going to prepare a place for them. And He told them, one of them said, Lord, we don't know where You're going. How do we know the way? He said, I know the, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. By me. And you remember Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and it suffices us. Philip was uttering a cry that is as old as man and as old as the news feed on your internet this morning. And Jesus said, Have I been so long time with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me has seen the Father. Inside of every one of us, inside of every heart, is an insatiable longing for God. Every man and every woman needs to know God. And there are times that we're not willing to confess this need. Sometimes in our blindness we feel like we've run past it. But if we look at ourselves honestly, and we see the facts, the raw facts about ourselves, we know beyond a shadow of any doubt, the supreme need of all of our lives is the presence of God. Think about Paul. When Paul met Jesus that day on that road from Jerusalem to Damascus, Paul was not a moral renegade. He actually at one point declares he had lived before God in all good conscience up to that hour. Paul was a man who was clean. He was religious. He was a man that was desperately in earnest and sincere in his religion. But this man met Jesus Christ. And when he met Jesus Christ, he came to know Him with an intimate and personal knowledge. And that intimate and personal knowledge of Jesus brought an inward peace to Paul. Up to that point, Paul had been in earnest about a creed. But having come to know God through Jesus... He was now devoted to a person. And going forth to spend and to be spent for others, Paul had a motive that was all sufficient. When Paul claims to know God, Paul speaks to the need of every human heart. And you know something else it does? Paul's assertion gives hope that you and I may also know God. You know, most of our knowledge we have to take second hand. When the astronomer tells us the sun is so many millions of miles from the earth, we accept it, don't we? An astronomer says the sun is 
X number of millions of miles from the earth. And we nod and say, okay, that's good. Personally, I don't ever intend to try and prove it. When someone tells us of the harsh conditions that exist at the South Pole, and we've seen pictures of the harsh conditions of the South Pole, we say, okay. I don't know about you, but I'm not planning to go there and find out for sure anytime soon. Myself. I'm quite aware of how big Paul's declaration is. I know whom I have believed. Have you ever thought about how ridiculous it seems that the God of the universe would take knowledge of creatures so small and frail as we are? You ever sent a letter to your senator or your congressman and gotten a reply? It's the same reply that eight million other people got. The same form letter. They're too important to know us, okay? But the God that created this world, He knows how many hairs there are on my head. Now granted, it's not as hard to keep up with now as it was 40 years ago, but He knows how many are there. God knows my needs. God knows my life. God's aware of me. God doesn't send me form letters. Listen to the psalmist in Psalms 8 and verse 4. What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? If we only think in terms of bigness, then the assertion that God can be known by all of us seems a bit incredible, does it not? But if we think of God as our Father, and of ourselves as God's children of His love, then the whole picture changes, doesn't it? If God is our Father... And if God really loves us, if God really loves me, then there's nothing so reasonable as the fact that God longs to make contact with me. Do you remember reading Tennyson's Enoch Arden? There were two friends, Enoch and Philip, who were in love with the same girl. Enoch and Philip were both very fine, upstanding men. Genuinely worthy. But the young girl gave her heart and her hand to Enoch and they were married and they had children. And after they were married and they had children, Enoch, who was a sailor, decided he would make one more voyage and then he would give up the sea. And he'd stay home with his young wife and his children. But that one last voyage for Enoch Arden ended in shipwreck. He was not drowned. But he had no way of getting home. He had no way of sending news of his disaster to his worried wife. After seven years, Enoch was given up for lost. And his wife married his friend Philip. One night, Enoch finally managed to make his way home. 
He hurried down the street to his own house and he found it dark. And then he went to Philip's house and he looked through a window. There were his two children, a boy and a girl. They were his and hers. On his wife's lap was another child. It was hers, but it was not his. What is he to do? If he goes in the house and reveals himself, he knows something of the bitter heartache it's going to bring to everyone involved. And therefore he decided to sink out of sight and permit himself to be forgotten. And the thing that made his decision so painful was that loving so deeply, he cannot reveal himself to his wife and his children. In the story we see Enoch Arden as he flings himself upon his face and claws the loam of the garden with outstretched fingers and says, God help me not to tell her. God help me to never let her know. In that heart that Enoch had longing for his wife and his children, in that same way, there's a longing inside of all of our hearts for God. God put it there. But infinitely stronger than the longing in our hearts for God is the longing that God has for us. God has put into every heart the capacity that was in Paul's heart to say, I know Him. But it's up to us to come to know God, to be able to say with Paul, I know whom I have believed. Folks, there is no greater, more important question to be settled than how can I know Jesus Christ? Look at that complete statement Paul makes once again. It's a threefold assertion. Paul says, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I committed unto Him. How did Paul know him? Paul said, I believed. I committed. I know. That's the path Paul traveled along the road to be able to say, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Paul believed. It's one of the commonplace truths of the Bible that we're saved by faith. Not by faith alone. But as Paul says, By grace are you saved through faith. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. It is through faith that we come to know God. And that shouldn't come as a surprise to us. In any realm of knowledge, faith is the pathway to discovery. Columbus discovered the world was round because of a faith that it was. In the laboratory, the scientist makes his discovery through faith that this is what's going to happen. And so we should not be assert, uh, astonished when the, the saints of old and saints today... Assert we discover God through faith. What kind of faith? 
What kind of faith leads to this discovery? It's a faith that dares. A faith that adventures. A faith that leads us to commit. You see, a faith that adventures, that's a faith that brings us to the knowledge of God. You remember the jailer of Acts 16? The earthquake had opened the doors of the prison. The earthquake had loosened the shackles of all the prisoners. And the frightened jailer sprang in and he looked at Paul and Silas. He says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul gave him the sanest of all answers. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Well, what is that? What is it to believe on Jesus? It's to do more than just accept a theory about the personality of Jesus. It means to believe on Jesus so fully, so completely, that we commit ourselves to Him. However much we may claim to believe, if that belief does not lead to a definite committal, it falls short. If faith does not lead to a changed life, it's less than the faith that God wants. However vague our faith might be, if that faith leads us to commit everything to Jesus, then we're headed toward certainty. That's what Paul found out. I believed, he declares. I committed, he said. And the outcome for Paul was, I know, a faith that issues in obedience is the roadway to knowledge. I don't care how bright your assurance of God may be right now at this very moment. If you begin to be disobedient to that heavenly vision, your light is going to go out. And however dim that light may be, if you begin right here, right now, to live up to the very best that you have, then that dim light can grow into a sunrise. You see, for all this to happen, Jesus has to be the Lord and Master of our lives. Let's be standing together right now, please.